Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is the final part about the murder of Peter Fasoli, a lonely man who let a stranger into his life, only to be tortured suffocated and left to die inside his burning bungalow. His killer had fled, believing he had covered his tracks, but he had left behind an eyewitness. Murder Mile is researched using authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And does the dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So what? No matter when you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Peter lay slumped, hidden in a dark recess between the side of the bed and the back of the brown sofa. Helpless, motionless, and unable to scream, move, or even breathe. With his wrists and ankles hogtied by adhesive tape, his oxygen-starved face deformed by thick layers of tightly wrapped cling film, and his last gasp of breath suffocated by a plastic carrier bag, Peter was dying a slow and painful death. Described as a good man who would help anyone with anything, Peter didn't have an ounce of hatred in his heart or a cruel thought in his head, as all he ever wanted was to be loved. And yet, given that his date had arrived with a bottle of flammable liquid stashed in his rucksack, it's clear that Peter's death was decided before the torture, the foreplay, the chat, and even before he had opened the door. Peter was alive, but unconscious, as the accelerant was splashed upon his bare flesh. And although dotted with red raw holes, where searing cigarette tips had singed his skin, ignited by his killer as he callously walked away, the hot propellant engulfed his body 
as his skin, hair and bindings burned and smoked. The fire was started at 12.41am precisely. An alarm activated within seconds. And at 12.43am, seeing smoke pouring from the little bungalow, several neighbours called 999. Alerted at 12.44am, three crews from the Northhold Fire Station at Pets Hill sped the two-mile route in less than five minutes and arrived at 12.49am, just eight minutes after the fire had begun. Three appliances and two ambulances blocked the L-shaped kink of Rubens Road. Unable to gain entry to the white door by the little stone path, firefighters used the jaws of life to pry open a double-glazed window. Found alive but unresponsive, Peter's blackened body was dragged from the burning building. But on arrival at Hillington Hospital, he was pronounced dead. Peter was 58 years old. He never married, he had no children, and he left behind a sister and a nephew. The investigation into Peter's death should have been simple. A naked man, bound with adhesive tape and suffocated with cling film and a plastic bag, was found inside a burning building. Suicide and autoasphyxia was ruled out, as it would have been impossible for Peter to tie his own hands and ankles behind his back and suffocate himself. Burglary was deemed unlikely, as although Peter's drawers were emptied and almost every wire was pulled out of the back of the bank of computers, there were no signs of a break-in and nothing appeared to have been stolen. As for arson, the fire brigade concluded that there were none of the classic signs of a deliberate fire. There was no ignition source, as the killer had taken the lighter, no evidence of accelerant, as all the fuel had burned off, and owing to an excess of electrical equipment, a faulty appliance seemed more likely. As for there being a second person, only one bowl of cereal was found in the sink. There were no fingerprints, and no one saw a single person enter or exit the bungalow. The neighbors heard no screams, only music. Of the three security cameras watching Peter's door, all three were either broken or its recorder had been damaged in the fire, and there were no other CCTV cameras nearby. And even if it could talk, the only known living entity in that room that night was Peter's budgie, and it was dead. An autopsy found no signs of restraint, as owing to the heat of the blaze, the adhesive tape, the plastic bag, and the cling film had vaporized. So with a little blacking in his lungs and a history of heart problems, his cause of death was attributed to smoke asphyxiation, suggesting he died in his sleep. An inquest was held at the West London Coroner's Court on the 16th of August 2013. 
with foul play ruled out, and the fire investigators stating that the blaze had been started by a faulty light bulb above his bed. A verdict was returned of accidental death. Over the following year, Peter's bungalow was boarded up with metal sheets. His personal possessions were placed in storage by a family friend. And given its grisly history, nobody wanted to move in to 2 Rubens Road. So in 2015, the building was demolished and a new build now stands in its place. Taking with it the last physical memory of Peter Fasoli and the murder was erased forever. Only one witness still remained and they had seen and heard everything. To cover his tracks, the next morning at 9.33am precisely, Jason sent Peter a message over Badu. In short, it read, Sorry I didn't turn up last night. Felt sick. Meet soon, Gabriel. A few hours later, he sent a second. You there? Followed by several more. Don't ignore me. I said I was sorry. And oh, don't be mean. But receiving no reply, he wrote, Fine, be like that. And their communication ceased. On Tuesday the 8th of January, barely 30 hours after the murder, Jason purchased a return flight to the Italian capital city of Rome using Peter's bank card. As the card hadn't been reported stolen, the purchase was small and no one was monitoring his bank account. Its use wasn't flagged as suspicious. On Friday the 11th, at 6.50am, an easyJet flight departed Gatwick Airport, carrying the crazed killer. With no sirens, armed police or roadblocks, just a cursory grunt and a glare by an immigration official, Jason was welcomed into Italy. Being half Italian, he blended in amongst the city's revelers of the arty district of Prati where he lived off his victim's money and partied like a man without a care in the world. For at least a week, his pathetic little life was good. But once the money was gone, the fun stopped. Like many millions, the anonymity of hiding behind a pen name, a cherry-picked profile and a carefully chosen photo lets them hide their inadequacies, casually chat, and just like Peter, log out when they got bored. But for one man, Badoo wasn't just a dating website. It was a hunting ground full of sad, lonely men. Jason didn't need to prowl the streets to find the perfect victim, as with so many men vying for love, all he had to do click. Unwittingly, they had packed all of their profiles full of details to make his hunt a lot simpler. 
their age, size, height and weight, letting him select an older, smaller male who wouldn't put up a fight. Their status, a quiet singleton who lived alone. Their lifestyle, a man with a disposable income. And more importantly, their sexual preferences, allowing him to choose a submissive male into SNM bondage and roleplay, who was eager to fulfill a young man's sadistic fantasy of interrogating a suspect. On Saturday the 26th of January, 20 days after Peter's murder, 67-year-old Vincenzo Yale, a retired tour guide and divorced father of one, welcomed a stranger into his home, who went by the alias of Gabriel. Situated on a quiet side street, in the sleepy seaside town of Torvianica Alta, Vincenzo's home consisted of a two-story box-like building with white walls and brown ceramic roof tiles. But as a security-conscious man, its sturdy gate could only be accessed by a buzzer or a keypad. At 7pm, their date began as any interaction between two strangers would. Hi, I'm Gabriel. Uh, well, Jason really. Hello. Hello, I'm Vincenzo. Nice to meet you. In person. Ah, yes, in person, finally. Possibly followed by... Please come in. Shall I take my shoes off? No, that's fine. As well as a few casual pleasantries about his journey, the sea, the weather, and Vincenzo's home. With a romantic mood set by soft lighting and classical music, the two men chatted. Standing briefly, Jason removed his jacket to reveal an ill-conceived uniform of an MI5 agent. This time on assignment at the British Embassy, with blue jeans, a woolly hat, a smutty t-shirt, a Nokia mobile, a homemade ID, and a utility belt full of all kinds of childish crap, such as kitchen gloves, plastic handcuffs, and a toy gun. Only this time, along with his hunting knife, he carried a truncheon and a can of pepper spray, all of which were real. With a sexy chit-chat having stalled, Jason Marshall, MI5 agent, informed Vincenzo Iale of Viamar del Corale that he was under arrest for being a spy. Smiling, Vincenzo willingly stripped. He was gagged and hogtied with adhesive tape, and the two men engaged in sex. Only this fantasy roleplay was about to get very real, very quick. I want your pin number, Jason screamed, as the red-hot tip of a cigarette seared his victim's flesh. I want your pin, he wailed, raining down blows upon his body with an inch-thick truncheon. Your pin, he spat, 
blinding his bound and muffled hostage with pepper spray, until he relented, gasping for air. And with that, Jason went shopping and returned a whole 400 euros richer. To fabricate a burglary, he upended shelves and ransacked cupboards. But bafflingly, he didn't make it look like a break-in, and he stole nothing of any value. Just a cash card, the electronic key to the gate, the laptop's hard drive, as if to erase any trace of their history, and Vincenzo's second-hand fiat. But now, with the role-play having ended, and the date having soured, their brief friendship was over. The Badoo killer had no use for his only witness. Yanking an electric flex from the bedside light and wrapping it tightly around Vincenzo's neck, Jason stretched the cord wide, his knee buried in the arched back of his hogtied hostage, until his face turned blue and his body went limp. Lying there, alive but unconscious, Jason plunged his eight-inch hunting knife into Vincenzo's chest and slamming it down four times. The cold steel penetrated his ribs, his lungs, his back, and even the carpet below. And like the angel Gabriel himself, standing over the body, he administered the last rites. In the name of the Father, the Son, I am the resurrection and the life. And with no fire, no smoke, and no alarm to quicken his step, as calmly as when he had entered, Jason left Torvianica Alta, never to return. It wasn't until one week later that Vincenzo's body was discovered. But by then, Jason was flat broke, desperate, and was seeking a third victim. His name was Umberto Gismondi, a little lonely Italian man of modest means, who lived alone and was a submissive into S&M bondage and roleplay. Only this time, the police were watching Having found Vincenzo's mobile beside his body, the chat on Badu had led to an unknown male known only as Gabriel. Tracking the withdrawals from the stolen cash card and the direction of the stolen Fiat, Jason was being tailed by a police surveillance team. On Thursday the 21st of February at 7pm, they saw Umberto Gismondi let a stranger into his home. Ciao, sono Gabriel e Jason Davello. Ciao, sono Vincenzo. Piacere di concerti, di persona. From the dark of a blacked-out van, two surveillance officers watched the windows of the little flat in Castle Morena. As inside, two strangers sat and made small talk. Only the night for the watchers was dull, incredibly dull, 
as being either too shy to engage in sex so soon, or the kind of man who liked to be loved. Umberto kept Jason at a distance. Together they ate a delightful dinner, sat on the sofa watching television, and occasionally they kissed, but there was no sex. The surveillance had proved fruitless. So when their agonizingly dull shift was finally over, instead of waiting for fresh men to replace them, the officers just left, leaving Umberto alone with Jason. Inside, Jason had grown impatient. With Umberto happy to just sit there and chat, Jason's mission was stymied by a dithering man, and his fraught nerves were about ready to snap. All it took was a single sound, a mocking laugh from Umberto's lips, as he found Jason's tale that he was an MI5 agent idiotic. And rightly, he panned his pathetic uniform and his plastic gun. Furious, Umberto was beaten, kicked, pepper sprayed, battered with a truncheon, and suffocated with cushions. The torture lasted for hours, as Jason dragged him from room to room, beating him senseless. But by then, the police had gone. Bloodied and barely conscious, having given up his pin, Jason was 400 euros richer and had stolen an iPad. But before he could return, to dispose of his only witness. Having released his gag, Umberto screamed. The neighbors came, police were alerted, the attacker's name was given up, and having tracked the GPS on his mobile to a bus heading south in the suburbs of Rome. At 3.30 a.m., Jason Marshall was arrested. The evidence against him was overwhelming. A stolen car, a keycard, and bank cards in the name of Vincenzo Iali and Umberto Gismondi. As well as a knife, a truncheon, a can of pepper spray, a roll of adhesive tape, a fake uniform, bloodstains, DNA. And having survived the attack, Umberto would prove to be a very credible witness. But for the prosecution, two large problems would emerge. Firstly, Jason claimed that he had no memory of the last three months. From November 2012, when he blacked out in an unnamed Scottish forest, to just a few days ago, when he woke up in an Italian psychiatric hospital, drugged and handcuffed to a bed with an armed police guard by his side dates of which, coincidentally or not, including maiming Umberto Gismondi and murdering Vincenzo Iali. And secondly, sticking with the implausible story that he was an MI5 agent on a mission to arrest spies and that he was the angel Gabriel on a divine prophecy. With his medical record showing a history of depression anxiety, a diagnosis of Asperger's, 
and having been sectioned under the Mental Health Act, he was deemed fit to stand trial, but his heinous crimes would be viewed under diminished responsibility. On the 9th of July 2014, at the Prozzi Nonay Court of Assizes, 25-year-old Jason Peter Marshall of Greenwich was found guilty of the murder of Vincenzo Iali and the attempted murder of Umberto Gizmondi. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison, with at least three to be spent in psychiatric care. And with the Badu killer jailed, the case was closed, and his name and crimes were forgotten. Almost. As there was still one eyewitness, yet to speak, who had seen and heard everything. On Saturday the 8th of November 2014, being close to two years since the fire, and 15 months after a coroner's inquest had ruled the death of Peter Fasoli as an accident owing to a faulty light bulb. His nephew, Christopher Murgatroyd, removed Peter's personal possessions from storage. Some were charred, many were damaged, and others were beyond repair. But as part of the grieving process to mourn his beloved uncle, Christopher knew that Peter had been compiling a family tree. Keen to recover the project, he switched on his uncle's laptop, which had survived the inferno. As a neat man, typically, the files on his hard drive were well organized, so it didn't pose a problem to find his research, his reference sources, and a treasure trove of family photos. But one file stood out. It was a large file, a very large file, so large it took up most of the hard drive. Clicking the video file open, Christopher was confronted by a familiar sight. As filmed using the laptop's webcam by the bank of computers, this fixed shot showed the inside of the little bungalow. His uncle sat in his recliner chair eating a bowl of cereal, and behind him lay his blue bed and his brown sofa. Initially, it seemed an odd thing to film, a seven-hour recording of him sitting alone, eating his dinner. Only this dull little video was far from remarkable, as although it had no name, its date was unique. Peter had pressed record just before 7pm on Sunday the 6th of January 2013, the evening that he died. At 7pm precisely, having briefly exited the shot, the audio picked up the chat of two socially awkward men. Rightfully concerned, Christopher spilled through the video and witnessed everything. From the role play, to the torture, to the robbery and the suffocation. With his uncle out of frame, 
his bound body and his shrink-wrapped head slumped in an oxygen-starved heap behind the sofa. Having said a prayer in Latin, the stranger ransacked the room and yanked out the cables from the bank of computers. And although the video abruptly cut out, the audio kept recording, saving the file to the hard drive and capturing the last moments of Peter's life. The splash of flammable liquid, the click of a lighter, the licking of flames, and the piercing shrill of a fire alarm. Quite why Peter chose to record this is unknown. But with this silent witness finally speaking, a murderer would be brought to justice. With the coroner's inquest reopened, the police had powers to search everything. The hard drive, the phone calls, the bank cards and the Badoo messages. All of which led to 25-year-old Jason Marshall and nobody they had never heard of. As well as the fake alibi, the cash withdrawals, the flight to Italy and his recent conviction for a murder and an attempted murder Two attacks, identical to Peter's. On the 15th of February 2017, having stalled owing to a lot of red tape and a lengthy stint in an Italian psychiatric unit, a European arrest warrant was issued and Jason was arrested on transfer to Heathrow Airport. Tried at the Old Bailey, Jason pleaded not guilty but his defense of amnesia due to hard drinking was dismissed. As in not a single piece of footage did he look unsteady, confused or drunk. And although his mental illness was deemed a factor, the judge made it clear that Jason was to blame for his actions. Judge Hilliard QC said, You were motivated by a desire to cause Mr. Fasoli pain. You tortured him for so long because you enjoyed it so much. You felt no remorse for what you have done, only pleasure. The jury took just 75 minutes to reach a unanimous verdict. And being found guilty of both charges, Jason Marshall was sentenced to a minimum term of 39 years for the murder of Peter Fasoli. A fresh inquest also overruled the original verdict of accidental death by the coroner's court. But no blame was attached to the police or fire brigade who admitted that minor oversights had been made. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. That was the final part of the Badoo Killer And as always, after the break, we have a non-compulsory part of the show for those who like info, idiotic coots and iced buns. If that sounds awful, switch off now. But before that, here's a promo for a true crime podcast which may very well be 
the soft and sweet layer of frangipan, which nestles in the middle of a lovely scrumptious bakewell tart. Mmm. This is Edward October. It's Sunday morning, and I'm here at a typical American home. But inside, Jen and Cam of our true crime podcast sit down to record their latest episode. Though Jen and Cam are lifelong friends, they approach true crime with the utmost professionalism. They're focused. So, 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 what do you Highly articulate. Alachua, is that how you say it? Um, right. Alachua, like Joshua, but Alachua. Alachua. <laughs> you will Alachua onto my... And above all, compassionate. Honestly, I debated if I wanted to do this. And in the end, I decided it was important to honor this baby's short life. Every day, more folks wake up hungry for a true crime podcast. And our true crime podcast is enjoyed best by more people. So whenever you're downloading any podcast of any kind, be sure to download an extra episode of our true crime podcast. You'll like them. Available on all your favorite podcatchers or at OurTrueCrimePodcast.com. See this? The mouth? It gets me in trouble. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Kerry Roberts, Jessica Cook, the Lady Juliet Maybank, and Anthony Priddy. I thank you all for supporting the show. It's very much appreciated. Plus a thank you to everyone who has recently left lovely reviews and very kind words from Murder Mile on your favourite podcast app. It's very much appreciated. And it's even better because it acts like a stiff mid-digit to all those nasty people out there who have no lives, hate everything, and get their jollies by pissing on people's chips. Boo to them! Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Holy <laughs> cripes. Well, 
it started well. It started well, then it went downhill from there. Of course it did. Of course it did. Hey everyone, welcome to Extra Mile. If you're new to Extra Mile, don't forget this is not the compulsory bit. This is the extra bit. This is not the part of the episode. This is extra. You've listened to the episode. That is the bit you can review. If you like it, great. Give it a five-star review. If you hate it, give it a one. That's all fine. Don't review this bit. This is extra. It's not part of the podcast. I find it baffling when people leave little reviews going, I don't really like the second bit, so I've downgraded it. It's like, that's not the podcast. Anyway, anyway, today's been a tough one. It's been a tough one. That's why I'm a bit antsy. It started so well. I was flowing really nicely. And even though this this episode has some really complicated uh, place names in it and Italian names and, you know, I've got my little list in front of me of everything I need to know. Uh, and I'd, I'd phonetically written things out, and it was all going so well, and then oh, loads of boats going past and some really noisy um, uh, planes flying over, and then some prick around the corner with an angle grinder. It's early in the morning, and he's decided, you know what, I'm going to angle grind everything. Oh, look at that. There's some there's some stone. I'll angle grind that. Oh, look, some metal. I'll angle grind that. Yeah. Oh, what else can I angle grind? What else? Can... And you know what? Now he's stopped. Prick. Anyway, I'm gonna uh, let's get rid of the uh, get rid of me uh, little sound baffler. There we go. I'm gonna go and make a cup of tea. I'm gonna put on the. Uh, I'm gonna. Well, I say tea. It's obviously coffee. Oh. I'm opening up a, a couple of doors as well because we need some fresh air in here. Core lummy. Uh, what am I going? Coffee or tea? Coffee or tea? I think I need another coffee to freshen me up. Oh, I might have to get myself a nice mug that kind of keeps everything nice and warm for for longer. Because this these ceramic mugs are good, but they all seem to make everything go cold too fast. I might treat myself to something nice. There we go. Coffee in, sugar in, powdered milk in. Even though it's still cold outside, it's still oh, in the evenings. It's still freezing, even though we're way into April now everything's it's uh it's still ooh, it's, it's weird it's like 18 20 degrees during the day and then nips pervert at night anyway what we got uh cake wise it's been a bugger i haven't been able to go out and get cake because this is really annoying uh tax end of the tax year people who are self-employed know this anyway we just at end of tax year so it's that point in the year where you think to yourself shit right let's let's uh, spend as much money as you can on things that are tax deductible so i did that but i've had no money so I'm, i've been broke uh yeah so i haven't, I haven't had any money to go out and cake so i haven't got any cake so there we go C- cake choice for the day none no cake nothing i haven't even got any nice food i'm literally going through my covers and just eating which is good it's sometimes it's good to have a clear out isn't it i'm, I'm all the tin stuff i'm going right mm, you know all the rice i get get rid of all that so that's all going all good uh what else are we doing uh neighbor down the road is burning lots of crap oh he's he has a fire on every day even on hot days he has a fire on and i don't understand it and he doesn't burn good wood like the the quality wood that smells nice when you go past him that smells nice he burns the shit he gets pallets and I always say to people, you should never... A lot of boaters do this. They get pallets, like wooden pallets, and they chop them up, and then they put them in the fire. But you shouldn't do that. Any boaters out there, don't do it. Because to make them waterproof, they use various chemicals to make uh, the pallets waterproof. And one of those chemicals is cyanide, of course. And you put that into your fire, 
and you're inhaling cyanide. There's loads of really noxious chemicals out there. People seem to think, oh, but it's cheap. Also, all the crap that's inside it goes down the side of your boat, and that's why some boats have shit stains, as I like to call it. Oh, put the water in. There we go. That looks good. Whoa. Shit stains is uh, a term that I, re I refer to uh, when people have a chimney down the side of their boat. If they use low quality, uh, or if they burn uh, the fire to uh, too low a temperature because they're cheapskates, uh, or they're using shit wood, or, or like pallet wood, as I'm saying, uh, the, the smoke doesn't tend to disappear. What it does is it drifts down the side of the boat, which means you end up with a really nasty, horrible stain down the side of the boat. And it looks like your boat has had a big old crap in its pants. It's horrible. Anyway, so that's boats with shit stains. What else is going on? Uh, pubs open last Monday, beer gardens. Uh, first day out, all the dickheads went out. Of course, they all rushed out. Oh, no, go have a pint, go have a pint. And I did my little walk and I went past 15 beer gardens. Ah, and uh, no one was socially distancing, no one was wearing masks. So uh, it's not going to end well, is it? I think everyone's got their vaccine. They're all like, oh, yeah, I'm cured. It's like, you're not cured. It just, oh, you don't understand what the vaccine does. What it does is stops you getting the severe symptoms, but you can still get the virus and you can still pass it on to other people, which means people who are immune compromised are in a really difficult situation because dickheads are walking around with no masks going, I don't need to wear a mask anymore. I'm cured. And it's like, no, you can still pass it on to people. Oh. Anyway, I've got my vaccine booked in in uh, about two weeks, two weeks from now. So end of August, end of August, end of April. So that's in. Looking forward to that. And then the second one scheduled for July, which is good, which means uh, I can get back to doing the tours. That's that's why I'm waiting. So I was waiting for my, at least to get my first vaccine in so I can start doing the tours. Uh, uh, and I'm going to whiz through all this editing and writing. I'm not going to take any days off. I'm going to try and go back to doing seven days a week instead of taking a nice day off. Go back to seven days a week so I can get myself ahead so that when... I do have my vaccine that when I do, if I do get sick, the three, because most people say it's normally about three days, at least I can afford to take three days off and not delay the podcast. See how hard I work to make sure that you get your podcast on time. Uh, what else is going on? I uh, had, had to buy a new bike saddle. This was annoying. I'd spent all my money and I got no money left. And I thought, I hope nothing happens before payday. Uh, and then while I was cycling into town, uh, to go and film some stuff for Murder Mile. It's about 30, 30 miles to get into town. 12 miles in, my saddle broke. Literally, I sat on it, it snapped. I went, oh, shit. And I ended up with the uh, the, the horrible metal bit sticking right at me, Jaxi. It was really unpleasant. So, unfortunately, I went into Evans Bikes because it's the only place that was open. And they're far too pricey. They, they're, they're like... Uh, like the, the place around the corner for me, you can get a full service on your bike for about 60 quid and they do a great job. Evans... 200 quid and it's like the last service they did was okay it wasn't great it was okay uh anyway i went in there we went looking for seats and they got oh look carbon fiber this all racing this and it's like i'll oh, piss off just give me a proper seat and i i had a choice between i had two that were 30 quid one that was really really hard and another that was what they call a ladies style so it's you know uh, a, a little bit bigger sorry ladies and it, but it's very 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 comfortable but it weighed a freaking ton 
And I was like, oh, God, I don't want the heavy one. So I went for the really light one, which cost 30 quid, and it really hurts my bob, my bobo. But I managed to go online, and I found myself a lovely, lovely soft seat cover. So that's exciting. So I've just put that on, so I'll be rolling that out this weekend. Very good. Uh, what? Oh, uh, I'm just going to throw in here. It's a minute long. Uh, it's It's part of the prerequisite because i'm doing crime con we've got crime con coming up in september this year so i'm just going to throw in my pre-recorded advert so i don't have to uh, say the words every time so uh, i've already pre-purchased my hotel room for when i'm there so i'm definitely going to be there and i've picked up my hotel room while it's cheap uh, so if you want to do the same do that now but here's a little advert hello this is mike host of the world-famous Murder Mile UK True Crime Podcast, and widely regarded as the greatest thing to have ever entered a person's ears since time began. And that's a fact. I'm deeply honoured to be part of Podcast Row at CrimeCon UK on the 25th and 26th of September, 2021. If you love true crime, please check out my audio doings, cleverly entitled Murder Mile. And should you purchase a ticket and save yourself percent by using the promo code MILE, you can come and meet me, in person. Yes, I'm real. You can touch me, not too much, just a little, and not down there. That's rude. To do so, treat yourself to two days of murderously good fun at CrimeCon. See you there. There you go. It all sounds good. I've got all the information in there, which means I don't have to keep re-recording it. There we go. All good fun hope to see you there it'll all be a bit of a giggle right uh let's do the quiz which as always i I will point out i'll probably ruin oh yes oh no i didn't put in enough sugar um so i'll probably ruin some of this but let's give it a go right question number one what airport did jason depart from to get to italy Clicking my thumb. I landed on my. I fell out of bed and I landed on directly on my thumb about two weeks ago, and I thought I'd sprained it, but I don't think I've sprained it. It doesn't seem to have swelled, and it still hurts and it's still clicky. I suspect I may have fractured it. There we go. Uh, question number two: How long did it take to find Jason guilty at the Old Bailey? I almost gave away the answer. Then my brain's not working. It's because that. that the prick who hasn't got the angle grinder has stopped, and that's really annoying me now. Uh, question number three. Vincenzo was killed using what two weapons? Oh, look. Here's the ice cream van. Not even nine in the morning, and the ice cream van is here. Prick. They're all out today. Uh, question four. What did... Oh, don't even get me started. Oh, sorry, I got thinking about... Yeah. Canal and River Trust, who have, haven't announced to everyone that we need to start moving again, but they put it on their website, and I've only just found out, and I'm three days over. So apparently they're going around saying, oh, why haven't you all moved? And normally they send an email saying you must move, but what they've done is they've put it on the website, and you, apparently you have to keep checking the website, but I've only just found out, and I'm three days over already. Bastards. So, uh, yeah, it's time to move the boat, which I, I was looking forward to do, but I wish they bloody told us. So annoying. Uh, jobs worth, so they are. Uh, question four. Uh, that wasn't a question. Question four. What did Vincenzo do as a job? Question five. 
why was Christopher, Peter's nephew, looking at the laptop? Question six. Where in Italy was Fe- where in Italy was Peter first arrested? Question seven. What type of car did Vincenzo drive? Question eight. This one's a really difficult one, but good luck with this. Uh, North Holt Fire Station is based where? You can't just say North Holt. Question nine. What item did Jason steal from Umberto's flat? And question ten. Where was Peter arrested in England? There you go. We'll do the answers very shortly, unless I balled them up this week. Um, so I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. I had some fun with the edit on that. Uh, what I decided to do was, as I was writing it, uh, I kind of realised that there was... Uh, I was leading you down a kind of a route, and I realised that there's two slight red herrings in there, so I deliberately played those up. So if you listen to episode two, I kind of overemphasize the sounds on... Uh, two things in there uh one of which is the security cameras outside peter's door because uh, obviously throughout i'm saying but there was always a, there was another witness so i emphasize the cameras outside the door and then in episode two i go oh but they weren't working and then i also just for the hell of it i thought this might be quite fun uh, i overemphasize the sound of the budgie whenever i'd mentioned the word witness so <laughs> so hopefully some of you will have gone hang on what the budgie was the witness no, I was never suggesting that, but I thought it would be a little bit of fun to throw that in. Anyway, that that was where it was. Uh, just to point out in this as well. Oh, I'm going to put this pillow behind my back. That's better. Or oh, as mentioned in this, uh, don't forget, as we've seen in the Camden Ripper episode, um, the police can't just go, right, it's a murder investigation. Let's kick this off. The problem is that especially in this case as well this is a prime example that if the coroner says it's an accidental death there's nothing they can do they even if the police believe it's a murder they can't progress the case basically collapses so as much as you know it would have been suspicious for them if you've got the fire brigade saying no it's an accidental death the pathologist says the same and then the coroner concludes it they're kind of stuck so uh um i'm not, not kind of helping them out with this but it is kind of a a difficult one uh when you look at this case uh having a look at uh jason's back history in there as mentioned he, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times in here about that uh he said he he went into a bit of a spiral out of control what he said is that when he lost his job as a cleaner at the uh, london olympics uh that he turned to drink and that he was sinking eight cans of stella artois a day Ugh. And uh, four bottles of Jack Daniels, uh, sorry, uh, and a half bottle of Jack Daniels a day, which mixed with his mental health medication, and he started to uh, suffer with uh, memory loss because of this. Um, as we've kind of seen, if you look at the CCTV footage, uh, like the footage of when he's going into uh, Peter, Peter Fasoli's house, nothing. He's sitting there, he's fine. He's, you know, there's, there's no stumbling, there's no tripping up over words. You know, everything, everything's kind of very normal. You know, you think, think very focused so all of this about him going into a kind of a, a heavy drinking binge is absolute dog shit uh he said that he wound up in a scottish forest in late november 2012 there's no reference to that no one it, he's very vague with those details um there you go angle grinder is back prick uh i know he's got a job to do but fuck off somewhere else and do it 
Uh, when he was in court, he said, uh, "One, uh, I woke up one day strapped to a bed with a cannula in my arm in an Italian hospital. Um, but he says he has a, a two to three month gap and he doesn't remember anything. Coincidentally, all around the time that he was, uh, these murders were taking place, which is very convenient. Uh, he would say in court, all I know about the case is from what I've seen uh, on the, the film, which is the uh, the laptop footage and in the evidence. Seeing the footage, I feel very bad that someone died and it potentially was me. I know it was me there. Someone died at my hands. That's very difficult to deal with mentally. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so 9th of July 2014, uh, obviously he was on, uh, on trial for the murder of uh, Vincenzo Iali and Umberto uh, Gismondi, or the attempted murder of um, Umberto Gismondi. Uh, that was in the uh, the Court of Assizes uh, in Rome, uh, where initially he was sentenced to 22 years, but uh, there was an appeal on the 15th of September the following year, and it was reduced to 16 years. Uh, as mentioned, three of which to be served in uh, an, an Italian psychiatric hospital. Um, when he was convicted, he, he said uh, he felt no remorse whatsoever for the killing. Uh, as part of his defence, he um, uh, he of course he he said that he was uh, he couldn't remember anything. He said that he was in a, a, a drunken killing spree. He said that in court that he was an MI5 agent. He also said in court that he was the angel Gabriel himself on a mission. Uh, and during the Italian proceedings, he also said um, he claimed uh, there was a male prostitute called Michael, not me, um, uh, who murdered. Uh, Vincenzo Iale in front of him uh, he also said uh, that he only attacked Umberto Gismondi in self-defence after being sexually abused by him uh, a couple of days before uh, although the, there's no evidence to suggest that at all and uh, as you can see with the uh, the surveillance guys when they're outside they, they said it was you know quite boring just two guys sitting down watching telly having a bit of a meal um Peter Fasoli was uh, given a second autopsy when the uh, the coroner's inquest was reopened. Uh, the pathologist confirmed that asphyxiation uh, had contributed to the death. And although he was still alive but conscious when the fire was started, uh, there was still no evidence of restraints. Uh, so it it all must have burnt off. If you can appreciate it, it's all it's all plastic, and plastic burns. It turns into gas and it disappears. Uh, there's it's it. It doesn't really say how badly Peter was injured. Obviously, petrol was thrown over him, um, uh, and the fire was contained in and around the bed. So uh, it's you know, as much as we can kind of criticise it here, it's hard for us to say. You know, um, if you if you look at the pictures of uh, of the guy, it's you, I think if, if you go onto my blog, you can find them. Do you know the the uh, the guy who uh, went to go and use the toilet in a, a lap dancing club and then those guys set fire to the stairs and he burnt to death in the toilet um, they may not be on my blog they may only be on Patreon I think I might have saved them just for that but when you look at the picture he's inside the toilet it's almost impossible to see him because the whole room is black and he is in there but it's hard and when you see him you go oh shit he is there it's really horrific and he is absolutely you can see every feature of him but he's just pure black so uh slurp of coffee so uh you can under you can make you know 
I think everyone seems to think that pathologists are made of magic and they can just magic up any information. But you can, o you can only go by what you presented. And don't forget, as the police and the fire brigade always say in these situations, when a pathologist gets the body, they're not given it. Uh, they're basically told how the body was found. And um, they're not really led in the direction by the police and the fire brigade, but it's, they're kind of told the situation and then they go searching for certain things because you can't search for everything you know so obviously you look at this you go did the man did the man die in the fire yeah did was he alive at the time yeah we can see that you know it's there's there's only basic things that you can do you have to you have to do a certain a certain amount of certain details in the pathology report if it was a poisoning they'd search his stomach if it's if it's fire you wouldn't search his stomach you wouldn't test him you wouldn't give him a toxicology test you know there are certain things that you would do and you wouldn't do so uh uh as mentioned, the extradition of um, Jason Marshall took absolutely ages because he was being held uh, in an Italian psychiatric uh, hospital, uh, and they needed a European arrest warrant. So this took actually it, it took almost two years uh, for police to get this. Uh, also, they needed to prove to the Italian courts that Jason Marshall was almost certainly guilty. Um, obviously, they got the the uh, six to seven hours worth of footage, which pretty much. Uh, convince them uh he came back into the uk uh was arrested and he appeared at uh, hendon magistrates court on the 16th of february uh as mentioned he was jailed in september 2017 for a minimum of 39 years that's huge uh, it doesn't really say though whether he whether he was serving the rest of his italian sentence whether he went back to italy to serve the rest of his italian sentence or whether he remained in the uk uh, I'm not really too sure about that. Um, obviously, in his old Bailey trial, he used amnesia as before, as mentioned. Um, I'm trying to see what I've got written here. Uh, they used a lot of the information that was from his Italian trial, because obviously in his Italian trial, um, uh, uh, Jason Marshall said that he had no memory of any of the, any of the attacks because he was in the grip of an alcohol fueled depression. He claimed that he came up with this defence case in the Italian trial by using stories from his dream diary uh, he made up with a psychiatrist. He told the jury he lied because his Italian ad lawyers advised him that he was saying he couldn't remember the attacks uh, was no good as a defence, so he decided to come up with something better. Uh, but prosecutors claiming he is using amnesia, amnesia as an excuse after the video emerged of him suffoca suffocating Mr. Fasoli. So I'm reading ahead. I've, I've marked up some stuff, but I want to make sure that I'm not uh, skipping over some stuff that's really useful. Um, it was the same in the UK court as well. He said he said that he was the, he said that he was MI five. He said he was the angel Gabriel. Even in the Italian trial, he he started getting really angry with the judge because the judge wouldn't hurry up. Um, uh, judge uh, Nicholas Hilliard QC, who was the judge of the the uh, Old Bailey trial, uh, said uh, said you didn't tell the. You didn't tell the truth, Marshall replied. My lawyer said that it's not a good defence. You have to come up with something better. Uh, I told a lying court in Italy, but I'm not lying now. Uh, what else is there? I've lined up some stuff. 
Hang on. Where's the stuff I've marked up? There it is. So what I do, what I do is I, I, I try and put everything in, and then I mark it up in kind of bold so I know where to come to. Uh, uh, even in court. So this was in court as well. He said, uh, asked by Judge Nicholas Hilliard QC if he had been trying to terrify Mr. Fasoli. Uh, Jason Marshall said, yes, my lord, with the press, with the prospect of torture. Uh, again, he said that he had no remorse. He said, yes, uh, 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 as always, no, he was flanked in court by uh, three dock officers. Um, here we go, here we go. Sorry about this. Uh, the prosecution said there was uh, an important and fundamental difference between the two trials, and that was the uh, laptop footage, which he could not escape Jason Marshall said, I'm not trying to get away from it. I think if I had remembered it, I could come up with something, some with a much better excuse, but I can't remember. Jury, oops, that was almost a, uh, an answer I gave away then. Uh, this is this is the problem is that quiz stymies me all the time. Uh, I can't be asked to go through all of this blather to edit stuff out just so it doesn't ruin the quiz. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, let's uh, the judge's statement. So, uh, sentencing marshal uh, Justice Hilliard QC said, "I'm sure you were motivated by a desire to cause Mr. Fasoli pain without his consent. Consent. You tortured him for so long because you enjoyed it so much. The dominant elements of your motiv motivation for killing Mr. Fasoli were robbery and sadism. I'm sure that you can have felt no remorse whatsoever for what you have done. On the contrary, you derived pleasure from it." Burpees there, sorry. He tortured uh, his vulnerable victim for a sexual gratification, Judge uh, Nicholas Hilliard said in sentencing. The judge described it as a sadistic killing. You t uh, oh, I've done oh, I've done that one. I almost repeated myself there. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, uh, I think that's it. I think that's everything on there. Uh, oh, yeah, there was a fresh uh, inquest on the 29th of October 2019, so not too long ago. Following an in inquest into Mr. Fasoli's death at the West London Coroner's Court, a verdict of accidental death was recorded. This was back in 2013. Uh, but as the High Court in London on... But at the High Court in London on Tuesday, two senior judges quashed the original verdict and ordered that a new inquest must must take place. Lawyers acting on behalf of the senior coroner for West London applied to quash the original verdict. Uh, uh, Lord Justice Higginbottom, sitting with Mrs Justice Lambert, said the court concerned uh, quite extraordinary facts. Um, and this is kind of interesting as well. This, if you look at the dates for this, um, the arrest of Jason Marshall and all, all everything that's going on here is literally a year before Stephen Port, the grinder killer, uh, which has a lot of similarities in that as well. Obviously, the, not a lot, uh, not as much sadism, but it it is kind of you know. Um, meeting gay men using apps and then luring them back to his flat and, and using uh, kind of aliases and things like that. So, But obviously I think Stephen Port is the more famous one. Uh, will I be doing Stephen Port on Murder Mile? Nope, because he's East London. Uh, unless I get to the point where I'm going to move and start doing East London stuff. I don't think I will, to be honest, because I think that's the problem. I think I think that if you give yourself too much rope 
doing a podcast, you know, if what I like is the fact that West, what I have is I have is Soho primarily but also west london and i think what that does is force me to start looking at cases that i would never normally consider and start researching them really deep whereas i think if i open myself up and go all of the uk or if i go all the whole world it's just laziness it's like it's like i don't need to do research other people have done it i can you know i won't find anything original and that's what i like is that yes this case has been covered in the press and this that's only because do you know, we're in the pandemic. I can't get to the archives. I'm having to use other sources, which is slightly annoying for me. I can't wait to get back to the archives. I've got a list, a huge list of all these cases that have never been covered before. And I want to cover them ASAP, but I can't. Well, the archives are shut, which is really frustrating. But uh, yeah, that's so. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably not going to probably not going to do North London, South London, East London. I think I'm just going to stick West West London for the moment. Uh, probably for as long as possible because it, it's interesting because I think that's what makes Murder Mile different is is the fact that sometimes like you get murders on the same street you get murders in the same houses sometimes you get murders like in houses immediately opposite each other and you get the same people coming back and I think that's what makes it interesting is you see the same names the same people you know, same locations same same mistakes you know uh, I think that I think that that's what makes it interesting. So, uh, and I think the second I start moving to East London, North London, South London, or outside London, that's when it all goes to shit. I think that's when it just becomes generic, and I don't want Murder Mile to be generic. I think what makes it interesting is the fact that everything's contained, uh, which is why why I keep trying to push us back to Soho and that kind of area, so we can start trawling the same streets. Right. Anyway, that was fun. Uh, Cool. Let's do the answers to the question. Everyone get ready. Uh, Question number one. What airport did Jason depart from to get to Italy? He departed from Gatwick Airport. Question two. How long did it take to find Jason guilty at the Old Bailey? It was 75 minutes. Question three. Vincenzo was killed using what two weapons? It was a hunting knife and an electrical flex. Question four. What did Vincenzo do as a job? He was a retired tour guide. Question five. Why was... Question five. Why was Christopher, Peter's nephew, looking at his laptop? Uh, uh, Peter was doing a family tree question 6 where in Italy was Peter first arrested he was on a bus heading south in the outskirts of Rome question 7 what type of car did Vincenzo drive that was a Fiat question 8 which is a difficult one uh, North Holt Fire Station is based where? And you can't say North Holt. It's based at Pets Hill, which I sometimes do on my little circuit of a walk when I'm in that area. When I move the boat to different areas, I have little circuits and I often go past that fire station. And now I can go past and go, oh, you investigated the Peter Fazoli fire. Sort of. Uh, question nine. What item did Jason steal from Umberto's flat? It was an iPad. 
And question 10. Where was Peter... Oh, I've written Peter arrested. Ah. Well, let's... Uh, that's probably ballsed up the question from earlier, uh, earlier on. I've written the wrong name. Where was Jason arrested in England? Uh, you don't need to answer this question because I probably ballsed it up at the start. Uh, so it was where was Jason arrested in England? Uh, that was Heathrow Airport. <laughs> too many names. Too many names. There we go. That's all done. Hope you enjoyed that. That was good fun. Uh, we'll be back next week for another episode. Uh, I think it's a, yeah, it's a one-parter next week. I think unless it unless it all spirals out of control and I turn it into a two-parter, probably not. I think I think this is a one-parter. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. It's a pleasure to have you uh, listening, and uh, thank you for sharing it with your friends. And thank you for all the reviews. And I shall look forward to talking to you next week. Have a good week. Be good. Lots of love. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.